God's people and praise his name. Please stand and join us as we sing together. I will sing forever of your love. Come down with my hands to heaven. Shout your praises out. I was lost in darkness when you pulled me out. I will sing forever of your love. Come down. Jesus, our Savior. 
Your 
Father, the orphan. Your kindness makes us whole. You shoulder our weakness, and your strength becomes our own. You're making me like you, clothing me in white, bringing beauty from ashes. For you will have your bride, free of all the guilt, of all the shame. Father, you are indeed worthy of all of our praise. And we come today to do just that. We come to praise you by singing and by hearing you and surrendering to you and sharing life with each other. And we ask that you would be glorified in our worship today. Thank you for being present with us. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. It's great to see each one of you as you gather for worship today. Uh, take a few moments and share a word of greeting with others here in worship as well.
just want to remind you of a couple of things. Um, <clears throat> for those of you who are members of the church, today's the day that we elect our leaders. Uh, you can cast your ballot either in the lower foyer after the service or in the uh, community room foyer. Uh, either place uh, throughout the morning, uh, people will be there to assist you. Uh, I just want to encourage you uh, to take uh, part in this process. And tonight we'll be gathering in the community room at 5 o'clock. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be there for just an hour. Uh, we'll have some time for food. If you can bring a dessert to share, that would be great. Uh, we'll have a chance to share some praises of God, some things God's done in our lives. Have a chance to pray together, sing together, talk a little bit about um, what we feel like God may be uh, leading us to do in the year ahead. So whether you're a member or not, uh, we really want you to be here tonight and uh, to participate in this uh, moment of the life of our church. And we look forward to this time together. Good morning. I'd like to talk to you about the Meals on Wheels program. In 1999, our church began a partnership with Allegheny County Office for the Aging by becoming a local distribution point for Meals on Wheels. Tom McAmer, a member of our church, thought that a practical ministry for our church would be to provide drivers to deliver the meals to clients in our area for this county program. At that time, I began as a volunteer driver and two years later took on the added secretarial work of recruiting and scheduling for these drivers. The purpose of Meals on Wheels is twofold. First of all, we are able to provide healthy, hot noon meals to clients Monday through Friday. Secondly, it gives us the opportunity to check in on these folks assuring that they are doing okay. If there are concerns, we contact the Office for the Aging and they follow up on this. Clients pay for these meals as much as they are able, this being determined by the Office for the Aging. As drivers, we do not handle the financial arrangements. Our service area includes the villages of Houghton, Fillmore, Hume, and Wiscoy Rossburg. Currently, the Belvedere Hotel in Belmont prepares the meals. A county driver distributes the meals to the various sites for distribution, and our meals arrive at the church between 11.15 and 11.30, and deliveries usually take about an hour. Our volunteers include young moms and dads, and children are welcome to ride along. I think it's a practical way for them to see how we can serve the community. We also are joined by college students, members of our pastoral staff, as well as some retired folk. We currently have volunteers from the Rushford and Fillmore areas helping us staff our local deliveries. Each driver is assigned a day to drive once each month, for instance, the first Monday or the third Thursday, and so on. Drivers receive quarterly calendars listing drivers with their contact information. Trades are made between drivers when scheduling issues arise, such as medical appointments or hair appointments or vacations. I would ask that any of you that have ever driven for meals on wheels or are currently driving, if you would stand.
Thank you very much for your help. I appreciate it. You can sit. I also would like to note that Larry and Vesta Mullen and Dick Alderman are just retiring from this after driving for many years for us. If any of you are interested in partnering with this program, I'd be glad to link you up with one of our drivers so that you can drive with them to get a taste of what the opportunity entails. Because of the vision of Tommy McAmer and also because of the assistance of Lynn Oyer, who is an employee for Office for the Aging but is also a part of our local congregation, we are able to, con to contribute to this vital service to of our community. If you have further questions about the program, please get in touch with me. Thank you. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings. You stood before creation, eternity in your hand. You spoke the earth into motion, my soul now to stand. You stood before my failure carried the cross for my shame my sin weighed upon your shoulders my soul now to stand so what can I say What can I do but offer this heart, oh God, completely to you? So I walk upon salvation, your spirit alive.
As we uh, turn to the Lord in prayer, if you'd like to come and use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me as we're seated. Father, we come before you today in gratitude and thanksgiving for all that you've done for us in Christ. We come today acknowledging our need for you and that we find in you hope and peace and love and strength and life. We come to worship you. Father, as we gather today, there are many needs and burdens in our lives and the lives of those who are close to us. We think of people who are grieving today, especially of Kathy Wright now or her family. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would, would, bring, would bring hope to every grieving heart. We pray for all who are struggling with health concerns. Bring healing to John Christensen. Lawrence Tuber, to Rosalind Danner and Isabella Doherty, to Tim Nichols and Bob Brown, Louise Princell, to Nancy Cole, Brian Orbacher, Peter Lingenfelter, Cheryl O'Brien, to Ben King and Doris Esepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, to Bill Getty, Mike Raybuck, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, to Linda Roth, Emily Cricklar, and others who are on our minds and our hearts today. May they know your healing power in them. Father, we thank you for this church and the ministries of our church. And we thank you for those who are part of Meals on Wheels and this opportunity to, uh, to reach out to, uh, to people in our communities who have needs. And just this, this small act of, of time and kindness, you can use in powerful ways, and you have. And we pray that we would be able to minister your love and grace to people as the meals are delivered. And that it might, they might know that they are loved and cared for in a difficult time of life. We thank you for the churches around us, and today we pray for the Hunt Baptist Church and Pastor Jerry Fulmer, pour out your grace upon this gathering of believers that this congregation would, would not only be committed to serving you, but in serving you, serve each other and serve their community and beyond. Father, we thank you for your work in this country and in this world. We are again faced today with another tragedy this week. We pray for your, your grace upon all who are grieving your healing power on those who are injured. 
And Lord, as a nation, we recognize that that we need you. We pray that you would help the church to be a presence of peace and hope to people who are hopeless and despairing. We pray for this world, Lord, and the many places in which war and violence and, and need is so great. Bring your presence to bear in healing and hope. Father, we thank you for your church around the world. Thank you for the work of 10-3 and for Christy DeSaro, who leads the ministry in Nigeria. Lord, we ask that you would give her strength and grace for her tasks. Today, as she speaks in Kaleidoscope, may you anoint her with power and you give us as a church a new vision of what you are doing through technology and education in Nigeria and beyond. And Father, we continue to pray for your church and for your people, our brothers and sisters, as they live and serve you during this month of Ramadan in the Muslim world. Lord, may there be a a new sense of, of life and love and grace And may you do miraculous things in this world of great need. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your grace and mercy to us and in this world. We pray that you would be glorified in all that we are and all that we do. And we ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Good morning. Scripture passage this morning can be found in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And just as a reminder, following the scripture reading this morning, uh, children can be dismissed for children's church and junior church. Again, Acts 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost came, there were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, 
Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. Again, children can now be dismissed for Children's Church and Junior's Church. Please stand as we sing together.
Father, let us uh, truly experience your presence as we continue in worship to your glory and to the enrichment and needs of our lives. We pray this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. I think we often have this struggle in our minds, we struggle culturally, we struggle relationally, between which is better, the old or the new? Which is, which is better, what we've done in the past or what we might do in the future? Which is better, the way we've always done it or the way that we might do it? Which is better, trying to emulate what people before us did or trying to be the pace setters for what's ahead of us? We, we see this discussion going on in culture all the time. It's not exactly, you know, exactly worded that way, but that often the, the disagreements, the struggles, the, the push and the pull of our world is this old and new. If you watched the wedding yesterday, it... it uh, in Windsor Chapel of, the, of Prince Harry and, and Meghan, you saw this, this sort of old and new kind of thing that they were trying to, to, to do. And it's a constant struggle of old and new and old and new. And the church is not immune to that. In fact, it seems to me, particularly in the last maybe 50 years, probably most of our disagreements, most of our struggles in the church have been about old and new. Do we do it the way we've always done it or do we find a new way to do it? Do we, do we honor the past or do we look to the future? And you will find people who are on all sides of that and what ends up happening is it's not just about how we do things. It's not just about, about how we communicate, how we worship, and all those things. Ultimately, it comes down to how we view God. There's something in the back of our minds is saying, well, God did that then. God does this now. And the problem is we are almost always presented with the choice of either or. 
But I think when you read the scriptures, you find that God is interested in both and. And you see this really in in the heart of the day that we celebrate today in the calendar of the church year, Pentecost Sunday. This day of Pentecost is is based on the, the scripture passage that we just read from the book of Acts. But the the day of Pentecost goes back a ways. You'll notice that when this passage begins, Luke says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were together and the Holy Spirit came. There are three great festivals in uh, in the Jewish faith, uh, historic faith, that all of the Jewish males were commanded to come to Jerusalem or the, the central place of worship On those three days, the Feast of Unleavened Bread or Passover, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. The Feast of Unleavened Bread or Passover is connected to the Exodus, and the Feast of of Tabernacles or Booths is connected to the wandering of Israel in the wilderness and recounting that. And they they build little lean-tos and they live in those for a week. In remembering that how God rescued them and took care of them in the wilderness. And the Feast of Weeks is the first of the harvest. It is, when, it is celebrated when the first of the harvest comes, to get, comes in. And the people are so excited about what God has done for them that they have this one day celebration. You find the discussion of this in Exodus 23, Leviticus 23... Numbers 28, Deuteronomy 16, it is, is repeated over and over again about when you get into the land that I'm giving you, you take time when the first harvest comes in and you celebrate. But this day is also connected in Jewish history to the giving of the law, the Torah, on Mount Sinai to Moses. And that day, which many the, the Jews see as 50 days from when they leave Egypt to when God gives them the law, they, they have this, they, they, they celebrate that as well. The reason it's called Pentecost is it has these 50 days, and the word penta, Pentecost in Greek, means 50. And so they have this celebration, the, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. And the connection to Mount Sinai is that it is the moment when God says to his people, this is, I'm giving you this law as the sign of my covenant with you. That I will be your God and you will be my people. And we are going to have a unique relationship. And God's part of it is to give them the law and to promise to help them. And their part of it is to be obedient. And that law is, is the, sort of the sign, it is, it is the place, it is the object, the thing that connects them as God's people. And the bringing in of the harvest, the first harvest of the year, the bringing in of that harvest, they come to celebrate as a sign that they believe they are God's people. And God has indeed carried out his promise to them and he has blessed them and he's given this, them this harvest. And they celebrate this day of Pentecost. And it's on this day that the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. Now the question going through my mind as I've read this, and there's lots of things about this story that we could talk about. But the question in my mind as I was thinking about this story is, 
why does God choose to send the Holy Spirit on Pentecost? Why that day? I don't think God does anything by coincidence. I don't think God does anything haphazardly. I think there is a purpose, and there is a purpose in God sending the Holy Spirit to the disciples on that particular day. It's not Passover. It's not the Feast of Tabernacles. It's Pentecost. And the question rolling around in my mind is why? I think for one reason it's pragmatic. Because it's one of the feasts when when people come from all over the, the world of the Jews spread around. They all come to Jerusalem. Everyone is there. And these people from all over the place get to hear the gospel in this one place, one setting. And then they go back home and they tell people about it. It's a very pragmatic means of spreading the gospel. But I think there's something else going on here too. The Feast of Pentecost for the Jews is a feast of celebration that God is abundant in his blessings to them. It's the first fruits. They've, they've come and they, they've, they've, they've sown their seed and now they are reaping this amazing harvest. This great harvest of what God's blessed them with. God has kept his word that he will be their God and he will take care of them and he will do it abundantly. And they bring in this harvest that is beyond what they could ever imagine. And they come to celebrate and to sacrifice and to give thanks to God. And Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, is the celebration that God is abundant with himself. That God is an abundantly blessing God. That God is not, does not withhold blessings. That God does not, is not about scarcity. God's about abundance. Right after the end of this passage, which is kind of an odd place to stop, right? I realized we were reading. It probably wasn't the best place to stop. They all think they're drunk. Matt said to me, I'm assuming this is going to be a sermon about wine and things that we're going to talk about. But no, we're not. But right after that, Peter gets up and starts preaching. And he quotes the prophet Joel. And he says to the prophet Joel, he says that the the day is coming when the God will pour out his spirit on his people. Two, Two times God says, I will pour out my spirit upon you. And when I think of God pouring out his spirit, it's not a trickle. I think of Niagara Falls. I think of the more than 3,000 tons and more than 57,000 gallons of water that flows over that falls every second. This, this outpouring, this rush, this, this, this amazing abundance of water that's almost more than we can imagine. That's what God says, I'm going to do for my people. I think that's significant for us because so often we live in a spirit of scarcity and fear. Why are we we so, do you think that God is not abundant in his blessings? Because we don't really believe God is who he says he is. And one of the things about one of the things about thinking about this particular day and the old and the new is that what God is doing here at Pentecost is not a new thing in the sense of different. It's a new thing in the sense of being expanded. 
God is not now saying to, to the disciples, okay, now I'm going to be different with you than I ever was with my people any other time. No, he's saying, I'm going to continue to be to you what I've always been, and I'm an abundant God. I think it's fascinating how important God sees the land is to Israel. I'm not sure we really grasp how important the land was to them. But you will notice when you read through the story of the Exodus, how many times God says to them, both while they're in Egypt and as they're coming out of Egypt, and as they're wandering around the wilderness for 40 years, how he keeps saying to them, I, am, I am, have brought you out of Egypt to bring you to the land. I'm going to bring you to the land. I'm going to bring you to the land. I'm going to bring you to the land. This land that is abundant. This land that is full of blessing. This land that is bigger and and greater than you could ever imagine. Because that's the kind of God I am. And you and I, I think we wrestle to believe that. Otherwise, why would we live in so much fear? Why would we live with a mindset of scarcity? Why do we hoard? Why are we greedy? Why do we think that we we have to protect and, and hang on to everything that we can get our hands on? Because we don't really believe that if we give it up to God, that he's going to abundantly bless us with what we need. And so we live in this mindset of scarcity and fear. It's one of the things the elders in the finance committee have been talking about this whole spring as we're talking about the, our, our financial plan for this coming year. As we sat down and talked about it and as we began to pray about it, we realized that, that we have probably been offering in a mindset, we've been acting in a mindset of scarcity instead of a mindset of God's abundance and trust and faith. And so we decided to take a leap of faith and we increased the budget significantly because we don't want to be a church that thinks out of a spirit of fear and scarcity. We want to be a church that that thinks out of a spirit of trust and faith in who God is. That he's abundant. Now understand, we aren't trying to, to... We aren't setting a higher level of financial commitment so that we can keep more of it. But it's so we can do more with it. So we have more funds available to to teach and to nurture our children and our youth in the faith. So that we have more funds that we need to disciple one another and care for one another. So that we have more available to us to reach out to our communities around us and their needs and to reach out to the world. Because God blesses his people so that they can be a blessing. That's God's promise from the very beginning. When he calls out Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless you so that through you, you can bless the rest of the nations of the world. And one of the problems with the church sometimes is that we want God's blessing so that we can hang on to them. And why do we do that? Because we don't really believe that God is an abundantly blessing God. We're not really sure God can be trusted. So we get it and we hang on to it. And we grasp it and we we clutch it. And what we end up doing is just simply going inside of ourselves and we destroy ourselves. The reason God is abundantly blessing to Israel is so that they can share it with others. It is fascinating to me that when you get to Leviticus 23, and in that beginning in verse 9, it's a whole 
couple of paragraphs about what, how they practice this feast of, of Pentecost. But when they're done, at the end of that, God says to them now, now that you know I'm a God who is abund- abundantly blesses you, here's what I want you to do. Don't glean to the edges of your fields. You leave as much as you possibly can in your fields for the poor and the foreigners and the strangers among you. What would cause them to say, you know what, let's go back for the fourth time to make sure we pick every grape out there. We're going back the fifth time to make sure we haven't missed any stalks of grain. Why would they do that? Because they are afraid that God isn't who he says he is. And God says to them, look, do you trust me or not? I've given you, don't you dare go to the temple and sacrifice all for, because of all this abundance that I've given you and then steal it, in essence, from the people who need it. The sign that you believe I am who I say I am is if you leave it, you leave some. You leave, and, it's, and the more you leave, the bigger sign that is that you trust me. And this is what the church is to be. The Holy Spirit comes to us, not so that we can become ingrown and hoarded, but so that we can share it. So that we can share the God's abundant blessings of His Spirit with each other and with others. It's what motivates us to be the church in this world of need and burdens and struggles. Why do we, why do we share the gospel why do we help the people, people who are needy? Why do we care for each other? Because we believe that whatever we give away of ourselves, whether that is time or talents or treasures, God will provide. Because he is good and he's abundant. But we need to understand That the purpose of the coming of the Holy Spirit is not mission. The purpose of the coming of the Holy Spirit is presence. Jesus says to his disciples, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. There is certainly the mission that he's calling them to. That's the word he gives to Abraham. I'm going to bless you so you can bless the rest of the world. It's the word he gives to Israel. You're going to be my people so that the rest of the world will know what it looks like to follow me. But the purpose of God's covenant with his people and the purpose of our of the Holy Spirit coming upon us is not mission it's presence. It's making us holy. And out of God's presence in us comes mission. So often we get the we, we turn that around and our and our lives become about mission. The problem is we start giving out of ourselves instead of out of the power of the Spirit. And when our purpose is mission, when that's our focus, then we start thinking things like the end justifies the means. 
It doesn't matter how we get there as long as we accomplish the mission. It doesn't matter what kind of people we are as long as we accomplish the mission. But God's purpose is to make us holy people. And that was his purpose with Israel. That's his purpose with the church through the centuries. That's his purpose with us now. To make us like Jesus. And when we start looking like Jesus, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, mission becomes the most natural thing in the world for us to do. But it starts with presence. Not too long after the Israelites come out of Egypt, in fact, right after Moses comes back from the mountain and, and after he's gotten the law from, G, from, from God, he comes down the mountain and got the whole golden calf thing. And after that event, there is, there is some dialogue between Moses and God. And Moses, God says, I'm going to go with you still. And Moses says to him, look, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go. If you don't walk with us, we have no reason to go anywhere. He says, how will anybody else know that we're your people if your presence isn't with us? How will we possibly be able to be an influence to the nations around us if your presence isn't with us? It's the presence of God that makes them his people. And out of that presence comes mission. And if you and I want to have anything to do with changing the culture of our, of our church, our community, the wider communities, the world, it starts with presence. It starts with opening ourselves up to the Spirit and saying, change us, transform us, make us like you, so that we can bear witness to you. Because what people need is not our mission, what people need is Jesus. And I think one of our struggles with really grasping that is that when we read about an event like this in Acts 2, that is so I mean, it's so phenomenal. It, I mean, you read you know, tongues of fire and the people speaking in tongues and, and we won't even, we're not even going to talk about all those things today. They're significant. They're important. But we start, the problem is, and I think one of the reasons mission, we get, mission gets ahead of presence is because often mission is a lot more exciting. Mission can become one of those extraordinary kinds of moments. And we end up living our lives thinking that the presence of the Holy Spirit is about something extraordinary instead of something common. I was talking to an Old Testament scholar last week about some of my questions. And one of the things they said is that it's significant that that the Holy Spirit does not come at Passover. Passover is about the Exodus. It's about this one-time, never-to-be-repeated event. And if, and if the Holy Spirit had come on Passover about this, this extraordinary event, then we would spend our lives looking for the next extraordinary event. Everything about the Holy Spirit, everything about being Christians would be about finding the next extraordinary event. 
it's significant that the Holy Spirit comes at the Feast of Pentecost. I mean, what is more common in an agrarian culture than the harvest? You, would almost, you could almost say it's a little bit mundane because it just keeps coming around. Every year, multiple times a year, you bring in the harvest. Every year, you go out, you sow seed, you bring in the harvest. You sow seed, you bring in the harvest. You sow seed, you bring in the harvest. It is this thing that just keeps happening again and again and again. If you live in an agrarian culture, it's the most common thing that could possibly happen to you. It's just the way life is. It's what you do. It's everyday life. It's common. And the fact that the Holy Spirit comes on a, on a festival that is commemorating something common rather than something extraordinary, I think says to us that while we have extraordinary moments, we give thanks to God for those moments. But the real test of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is who we are when life is not extraordinary. Paul writes... And says, the fruit of the Spirit is an ecstatic experience. The fruit of the Spirit is an emotional moment. Now he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. The real test of the presence of the Holy Spirit in us is who we are in our homes with the people who know us best. It's who we are at our places of work. It's who we are with our neighbors. It's who we are when life is anything but extraordinary. It's who we are when life is crushing in upon us. It's who we are when when we face difficulties and struggles. It's who we are when, quite frankly, life feels mundane and the same. Do we believe that God is just as present in the common moments as in the extraordinary moments? And I think often we struggle with that because we live for the extraordinary moments. And we see those as the most spiritual moments. And while we don't want to to denigrate those, because we all have them, hopefully from time to time, but when the extraordinary moments are what we think is the movement of the Spirit, and that's the presence of the Spirit, we spend our lives looking for extraordinary moments all the while we are, we are missing God at work in the everyday. And we just keep looking for that moment, that moment, that moment. When I was a, when I was a boy, I remember one of my, one of my favorite, I think... One of my most memorable Christmas gifts was a Hot Wheels track. Do you remember Hot Wheels? I, I think they still have Hot Wheels. I brought a car with me today, a little Hot Wheels car. You know, there's little cars like this, and and they you know they run on a little plastic track, and and you run them around the track, and you have, you can also set them up on a something high, and they race down. And, and, you know, those were, the, those were the, the big item when I was a kid, and I desperately wanted a Hot Wheels track. And so one Christmas I got one. And I played with it for hours and hours and hours. But 
one of the greatest inventions that somebody made, I think Mattel was the ones that made Hot Wheels, one of the greatest inventions that to the Hot Wheels track was a supercharger. I brought some Hot Wheels track with me today too. A little car fits on that. But this supercharger, this is actually mine when I was a boy. And I still have it. So hang on to the things that you have as a child because you never know how you might use them in a sermon illustration sometime. <laughs> but this little thing here has two little rubber wheels inside of this thing that the track goes out here and the track goes out there. And the car, you push the car through there, they spin when it's on, runs with batteries and they spin. And when you put the car through, it shoots it out the other side. And if you set the track upright in an oval, it shoots it out the other side and makes it around the track. And it should get all the way back around to where you started here. And it shoots it through again and it keeps running it around and doing that. And it shoots it around and shoots it around and shoots it around. And it struck me that I think often this is, we view our Christian faith and the Holy Spirit in our lives like a supercharger. And all we're really thinking about is getting back to this place, having another moment, having another experience that will then shoot us out and get us going enough so that we can limp back around and have another one and get us around and we slowly get there and finally make it and limp back around again. When the reality is, when you read the scriptures... The primary way in which God describes people's journey with him is not racing around a track, going through supercharger moments. It's walking. Noah walked with God. Enoch walked with God. Abraham walked with God. Moses walked with God. David walked with God. When you read the New Testament, Paul keeps saying again and again, walk in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. Because the abundant grace of God might be most real and proven, not in the supercharger moments, but in the daily walk of grace and growth and maturity and relationship, and life. It's what God has always done with His people through the ages. It's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us, as He did in the disciples. And the question for us this morning is simply, will we be, will we let the Spirit work in us? Change us. Make us new. That we might walk with him to become people of mission. To become people he can use in ways beyond what we would ever imagine. Because we believe that our God is an abundant God. And he wants to do more in our lives than we could imagine. Day by day. Moment by moment. Holy Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you for your spirit. Make us new. 
Give us grace to walk with you in the power of your spirit. Amen. Please stand and sing with us. the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.